it's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guest is Andrew McHale, formerly of Oceano, formerly of Straight Line Stitch, currently of Serpents. Uh, Andrew has also been a hired gun for some other bands that you may be familiar with. We get into that in the conversation. Interestingly enough, uh, this this podcast chat actually got set up in a pretty interesting way. Uh, a lot of my episodes are on YouTube, and as such, you know, I get comments on on different episodes. And I got a random comment from somebody who had mentioned that they were a guitar player in Straight Line Stitch, and that they thought they knew me from when I had booked the band uh, when they were Straight Line Stitch. That is, was on the Thirty Six Crazy Fist tour for. Uh, the Bitterness of Star anniversary shows. Uh, I got one of the dates, and a friend of mine and I uh, ended up basically booking most of that tour between getting flights and so on and so forth. Um, so I have kind of a little more of a personal relationship with the Straight Line Stitch Camp. Wasn't sure exactly who I was talking to because that band has had quite a few different members uh, in and out of the band, so kind of hard to keep track. Like I remember the funny thing being when I actually did the show with the 36 show, we the image used that the band had submitted for our tour uh, poster, our admin. Uh, half of the band ended up changing from that photo to what we ended up getting. So, uh, kind of case in point of just how how much the lineup changes uh, were prevalent with Straight Line Stitch. Uh, all of that being said, though, um, so someone had reached out to me on my YouTube channel, was commenting, we were going back and forth, and then you know I think about a day. A day later, after my last interaction with whoever that was, I ended up getting a Facebook uh, message on my podcast page, and it was from Andrew basically saying that he, you know, was in, if I would be interested in talking to him uh, about Serpents and about his time in Straight Line, and I said, sure, and I was like, but I think you and I were just talking over on the YouTube channel, like, why not just say something over there, or, you know, email me or whatever, and then I realized as a result that, uh, I was talking to Ian, who was uh, formerly in Straight Line Stitch, and Ian basically told Andrew to hit me up and told him about the podcast. So without Ian and I's interaction, I don't think that this would have happened. Uh, and potentially I might reach out to Ian and see if he would like to come on and, and talk about his uh, time in Straight Line and so forth. I know he's still uh, making music and all that kind of stuff, maybe not in an active uh, realm as far as touring and so forth, but... Obviously, he, I think he would have some, some interesting stories to tell about his time touring and so forth. Uh, but back to Andrew, though. So Andrew and I kind of were talking and getting this set up. And, you know, I, in doing a little bit of research, I was talking with uh, a friend, the same mutual friend I've, I've been mentioning, uh, Alfonso. And when we were discussing that I was getting Andrew on, he goes, oh, shit, like, you know, dude was an Oceano. And I don't think he's ever talked about, like, what happened with that. And as a result of a few more people being around in the, the vicinity of the conversation, everyone was like, dude, I used to love Oceano, that first record, so on and so forth. And then basically the sentiment was like, I don't know what the fuck happened. And I would love to know, like, you should ask him what happened with Oceano. Uh, Oceano was a band that I was very much aware of, but I was never really a fan of. Pretty much in the time Andrew was in Oceano and Oceano was really making their mark, uh, that was when I kind of was, was not an active participant in you know, the metal scene and so forth. But it, it, it's kind of interesting to kind of think about how this podcast and a lot of the people I get on, like how 
they have kind of interwoven in my life between either being in a band that I, I have friends who knew and thinking about like, yo, maybe we did end up meeting each other or something. And as you'll hear in the chat, Andrew actually talks about how he lived here in Grand Rapids, like where I live and worked at a, one of the bigger venues here in town. And so I'm pretty much positive that him and I probably have met each other at least once as a result of me knowing most of the staff at that venue from having me book shows at the venue a couple of times over the years and, and so forth, or even some of the watering holes that he goes to uh, while he spent his time here. Um, so I, I kind of feel like maybe Andrew and I have actually met. I just don't, I didn't know who he was, nor did he probably know who I was, um, which is fine. The shit happens, but it's just interesting to kind of think about how someone kind of weaved in and out of your life potentially, and, and you just never put two and two together. Uh, but with all that said, like I, I enjoyed this conversation because we didn't really... I'm trying to get better about not over-preparing and having like five pages worth of notes to form a narrative and, and have my questions have segues and so forth uh, and just let a natural conversation happen. Uh, I've been getting a lot of feedback that people enjoy the conversations I have where they kind of tend to be really loose and more just natural conversations. Uh, and I tend to agree. Those are the kind of podcasts I like as well. Although I do like more of a kind of a interviewee style as well. Um, so, I mean, I kind of wrote some some loose notes down. I had a lot of stuff I wanted to hit, but basically we just ended up focusing on Andrew's earlier time learning to play guitar and, and him being self-taught and how that's affected him in his professional career. Uh, then into Oceano and then basically into Serpents. Like like I said, I, I really wanted to talk to him about some straight line stitch stuff, but it just never really presented itself. And by the time we kind of talked about what we did and we were like an hour and a half in and so forth, I just didn't really feel the need to piggyback into something else uh, at that point just to you know get it discussed um but with all that said the interesting thing though is uh the stuff on serpents uh he just dropped a new track uh i want to say as of the time this is going up maybe about a week ago uh it's going to be at the end of this this uh episode so stay tuned and check out the new serpents track the interesting thing though is in this conversation i have andrew basically gives me you know the full run of the new serpents record who's working on it all of that stuff how you know the the kind of the ins and outs of like how the concept of the record came to be and uh all that kind of stuff and as far as i know that that's not been said anywhere else he hasn't really done any any press for this new uh, serpents album yet so this is going to be kind of interesting kind of being the the one that breaks a lot of this information and i think what's really cool about it too is that given the fact that a big chunk of this, the material for this new record, at least the lyrics to it and the theme for it, all derive from, you know, Andrew's time here in Grand Rapids. So I feel like it's kind of very fitting that a lot of this stuff gets talked about on this podcast with someone who lives in this area. Um, so really looking forward to bringing this one to you. I think uh, Oceano fans, if you guys are checking this out, I think uh, maybe there's a glimmer of hope for some, some cool shit to happen maybe next year, uh, but maybe not. I mean, that's kind of the fun thing about doing these podcasts uh, as well as you kind of get to fantasy book stuff and and uh, sometimes you ask questions and it's kind of way up in the air and uh, I don't really know what's going to happen. And then a year later you see some news like on, on different music sites and you're like, holy shit, we talked about this thing and, and now it's fucking happening. Like, that's, that's crazy. Um, so maybe this will be one of those same situations where uh, a year from now 
I'll look back and be like, man, we were talking about this on my podcast and, and damned if it didn't fucking come into come to fruition. Um, so yeah, all that basically being said, this was a fun chat and I'm really thankful that Andrew reached out to me and gave me, you know, about an hour and a half of his time to, to talk, uh, all things about him and Oceano and, and serpents. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Andrew McHale of serpents. So I have the pleasure of talking this evening with Andrew McHale of, well, actually a lot of bands that you may know, but we'll just stick to Serpents. But uh, he has been the guitar player for Oceano. Uh, He has spent some time with Michigan's own Legend and uh, Straight Line Stitch, uh, Defiler, and I think Thick as Blood was one of the other ones that you were in for a short time as well. Uh, How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, especially now. I'm talking to you. (laughs) Oh. How are you? Uh, blushing now, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, there's a lot to kind of dissect with with your with your career, and uh, I know we're going to hit on all a little bit of all the bands, but uh, I always like to get a little bit more of a sense of where someone came from, as far as like some of their influences and just kind of their upbringing to kind of you know see like oh how like what was it that got you into either playing guitar or into heavy metal and so forth so why don't you give us a little bit of a background on on you and uh, how you got into music and playing guitar well um see i was born no i'm just kidding um (laughs) so i don't know man it's a you know i've had a you know i i won't say a rough upbringing because my parents you know were very very good to me um Stern, strong Middle Eastern parents, you know, you can't ask for anything more. Um, but essentially, I had gotten a guitar, um, I think I was 11 or to 13, I don't remember when it was exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was one of those kids that, um, you know, worshipped music every day. I was listening to music, headphones on, no matter what I was doing, um, with my Walkman. And um, What are those? You know... Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, more props to my parents, by the way, for, um, you know, letting me do that for as many years as I did and buying as many CDs on their dime as I did. But uh, that's another story. Um, So, you know, I was one of those kids who day in, day out, you know, I would come home from school and I didn't have much in the room because my bed was huge. So I had my bed and my dresser. So what I would do on a daily basis, um, whether I was doing homework or just literally sitting there looking at the stereo, um, I'd be listening to music on the side of my bed. And I would make mixtapes and whatnot, um, you know, listening to the radio and whatnot. And uh, it came to a time where I just wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be one of those guys and I would like play air guitar in my room and um, eventually you know my parents grabbed me a guitar or you know it was like a birthday present from the family and um, you know I just wanted to impact 
someone's life as they were impacting mine, you know. Um, I was always a big boy, you know, I felt kind of alienated and also being part of a Middle Eastern upbringing. Um, I didn't have, like, the pleasure of, like, going out and, like, playing and having friends and whatnot. It's very, you know, uh, you know get, you're at home or you're with me, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, kind of thing. So, you know, I was that kid who play air guitar, and uh, eventually I got a real guitar, and I never had lessons until now, unfortunately. Um, I wish I did, but, you know, it was kind of like, hey, at least I got the guitar. So... Uh, eventually, you know, I just, I never really learned songs like most guitar players do, mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, I learned how to play just from writing riffs and learning, you know, rhythms and whatnot. And, um, you know, I would use the school's internet to print out tabs during like school breaks and whatnot. So all my teachers were cool with me and like... Uh, you know, in the middle of, like, lunch break, I'd be on the computer while everyone's, like, socializing, and I'd be printing as many tabs as humanly possible <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying to learn riffs, you know, because my attention isn't the best. So <laughs> I don't have the attention to learn full songs. It's but, fun. Um, I was going to say, yeah, man, that sounds, oh. sounds a lot like my, my upbringing, actually. And uh, before, before that train of thought kind of goes away, I, I wanted to hit on something real uh -huh. quick. You know, you say that you're self-taught and have never actually – you know, really taking a lesson. Have you found in the career that you have with all the different people that you've had the opportunity to play with that has that really ever impeded, you know, being able to, to, to jam with people or to learn these songs? Cause that's kind of like something that I've always been really afraid of when, when jamming with people is the fact that like, I may not have the knowledge of something like somebody else does and that they're not going to want to teach me either. Yeah. Has that ever impeded um, anything at all out of curiosity? Only now. I mean, um, you know, when I was getting into the industry, I guess you would, I feel, oh, I hate saying that. Um, but <laughs> when I was getting into the industry, you know, everything was from, from the heart, from the cuff, you know, groove related. You know, we were all just like, here, here's a riff, you know? Right. And it's only when I started jamming with other bands, like you were saying, um, where, you know, like even now, it's like, you need to know theory, you need to know this, 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 because, I mean, if you think about it, so many young guns on, like, YouTube and whatnot, and undiscovered talent is so, like, theoretically talented and yeah. technique-wise talented, and there's so much going on, and I almost feel outdated at times, but then I remember a lot of the times in my past where I literally had guys in my band and you know, one guy in particular, he played in a dream theater cover band and, uh, he was Mr. Siri, you know, everything. He was counting out like time signatures for the riffs and everything. And he couldn't play this, the songs. And I would ask him what's going on, man. Like, you know, you're, you're kind of fudging it up, you know? And he would be like, this is so complex. The rhythms are complex and this and that. And I would just kind of like kind of laugh and shrug it off. But, that was so crazy to me considering, you know, I was, I just write what I write. And then, you know, I joined a band where, you know, they'd be like, all right, the opening riff is the area code to my phone number. So it's like <laughs> 510, you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, oh, okay, sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's hurting me now, especially since I want to, you know, partake in a little bit more professional, if uh, professional uh, environments, if I wanted to go that route, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, that's the only time it's impeded on me. But, you know, straight line stitch, the guy I replaced at the time, that was Chris Norris, who was in Darkest Hour, and he's like Shredmaster, you know, extraordinaire. And it's like, I was intimidated. I was like, I, I don't know if I could fill that shoe, you know? <laughs> right. So it all depends, man. If you have heart and you want to do it, you know, you could do it. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's always interesting, like when I hear people are self taught. And just kind of wondering, because it's like, you know, I think that's a, a part of, especially someone like yourself who has been in a lot of other bands, like repl- like you just said with Straight Line Stitch, like replacing somebody else. <laughs> so it's like, not only do you have to know the material, but then you sort of have to, and something that I always find fascinating too is you have to be a, a knowledgeable enough replacement to where it's like you can play the parts that someone else either wrote or whatever, but then you also kind of yeah. have to put your own little spin on it. So you're not just basically, you know, mimicking that person. It's like, well, we, you don't add any of your own flair to this. So I always think like, you know, basically being a touring musician or a studio musician sometimes can be really challenging. Cause it's like, you have to fit this small, this very complex role of like, we need you to do the job and do it very well. However, we need you to add a little bit of yourself into this as well. So it's not so very like robotic of, of sorts. Yeah. And, and I don't think a lot of people stop and think about how challenging that really may be. Um, and especially like, you know, like you're saying someone like from darkest hour, it's like, if you're replacing someone like that, I would just be like, nah, that's cool. So somebody else can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing you have, you will have your bands that are like, we just want you to play. And which is, that was like legend, you know, legend. They were like, just play. And it was like only, it was very short my time with them. Yeah. It was more like a fill in status. Yeah. Um, and same thing with Defiler. It was, you know, we want you to play, but, you know, we were open to your ideas. And then, you know, and there's some other instances where some bands were like, do whatever you want, man. Make it your own. And I'm all about that. I'm all about that. But, you know, I can also play and kind of fit the character, but also secretly, you know, add my flair or my attitude on stage. It's like, that's my interpretation of it. You know, the performance. Yeah. So, I mean, sorry to kind of cut you off on that. I just wanted to, like, quickly address that because I haven't really had the opportunity to really talk to anyone that's that's been self-taught uh, and not really ever gone through this debt. Like, you know, there are a lot of people, like, I think Kurt Hammond at one point is like, oh, I was all self-taught. And then it's like, but now I train with all these, like, legendary, like, musicians and have been trained in theory and all this shit. And it's like, oh, well, okay, so your self-taughtedness is, like, gone. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so I've never really had the opportunity to ask anyone who's, who's you know, self-taught you know, how it's been now as they're still in the, as you say, like as in the industry and so forth. And if it's, uh, you know, something that they find easier because they're not so rudimentally defined by going like, okay, we have to play in this, you know, box of notes and this scale and so forth. And it's more freeing because you can come up with ideas or if you've ever, if it's ever presented problems with, you know, getting in a room with people and being like, man, you guys are kind of talking a language I don't understand. Like, what? Like, let's just, let's just jam and, like, kind of, like, that's the whole point of being in a band and, you know, being in metal music a lot is, like, you just get in a room and you create shit and it's, like, now all of a sudden it's, like, 
here's my uh, mp3 of this song it's in this time signature it's uh this is like you know the key i was looking for or something like that and you're just like man you're just taking all like the the emotion kind of out of writing music it seems like when you people do that yeah well just i'm gonna try and touch base on this real fast um so it's i i think it's because re- as of recently you know i've had light training you know like uh I went on like Berkeley online and like got a little certificate about like, you know, music theory and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, um, a couple other things, you know, YouTube videos and whatnot. I think it has actually seized up my writing a little bit because, you know, I've been working on this album, uh, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to write the next album Mm -hmm. and there's definitely, definitely a, change in attitude where I'll, you know, when I'm writing now to the point where I'm too busy trying to make it like make sense. And it's really hard to turn that off now. Right. But I can, I can still do it and just be like, you know, ah, you know, whatever, just fumbling around and then I'll come up with a riff and then I'm like, Oh, there, there I am. Here we go again. Yeah. You know? Um, but now it's, it's, it's a little bit harder and I don't like that. And that's what I was dealing with, with, you know, let's say that trained guitarist I was working with. And he was, when I was like, hey, write something. And he would send me, you know, Guitar Pro tabs of like perfectly composed, you know, shred, shred opuses. And I'm like, ah, I'm not liking this, man. Right. And then I, I would just hear my amp, feel it, and just like hear it shake the room. And then all of a sudden I wrote a riff and I'd be like, hey check this out and then be like all right how do you play that and i show him and then as he's playing that riff i'll like mess around and then i'll come up with something but obviously it'll sound horrible when you're messing around but once you come up with that complimentary part it's like there it is right and then something you can't really get from like theory because i've had guys like counting like okay you're in this key and um, well, this would be complimentary or even how about this with the seventh? And I'm like, dude, dude, just why don't you try this? <laughs> I'm like, you know? Yeah. So I think that's what has saved my, my butt. I don't know if I can swear on here, but oh, yeah. you know, that's oh, what yeah, saved me for <laughs> right on. But, uh, that's what definitely has given heart to a heartless time, uh, in a way. Yeah, so didn't mean to didn't mean to cut you off on your your upbringing as far as like uh, getting into guitar playing and so forth. I just like I said, uh, as someone who watches a lot of YouTube videos and shit like that, and kind of seeing like people <laughs> who can just shred, and it's like, man, you can shred for sure. You've learned like how to play this song or you know whatever. You learned like all these like virtuo- virtuoso type you know players styles and abilities and so forth. But it's like at the end of the day, can you write a riff? Can you write like can you write your own shit that sounds as good as the stuff yeah. that you're trying to do. And a lot of times people, like you said, like they just kind of like, uh, 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 and they, they don't have, <laughs> like they can't play to feel. And I don't know how much of that I've been trying to figure out is like due to the effect of how much technology we have to break everything down. And, and if it's sort of getting to like almost, I've been kind of thinking is that like, is metal and shit kind of getting to the point of like where eighties hair metal was, where it's like, it started as, as people who were so proficient in their abilities 
that it then became a, a level of like one upping each other, but then it got to the point where instead of it be trying to inspire each other, it just got overly comedic and, and formulaic in the the attempt and the process of making these songs. And so I'm wondering if like we're kind of getting to this the same level with like you know hardcore and metal and shit where it's like it's got to be so meticulous and and fit in this specific box like musically and all that kind of shit and and that's why you know we're kind of i feel like there are certain bands like you know maybe like a code orange or something like that where they're like doing just enough different shit that it's like making the scene interesting again yeah that's just been something i've been thinking about i mean even as like a a musician or an artist or even a hired gun one of the biggest you know, you mentioned formulaic and out, you know, in the box. One of the biggest uh, hurdles as a, you know, whatever right mm-hmm. now for me is finding a band that needs a second guitar player because everyone's using backing track guitars now. Right. Like, you want to talk about in the box and you know <laughs> taking the taking the soul out of things. I mean, that's 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 it. And um, you know. I that you know I posted recently, you know I didn't really get the whole code code orange thing, and then I, on a whim, I checked out that that album, and I was just like, you know what? It's like, good for them, man. It just sounds it sounds aggressive, sounds raw, um, you know, it just has heart, and a lot of people you know shit on it, shit on yeah. that record, and I, I just love how different it is. And it reminds me of what Oceano was doing back in the day. Everyone shit on us when we first came out. Yeah. Uh, But people realized it was like an animal. You know, it just had all these different aspects to it. And you wouldn't get that if I was like, no, no, no. We just, we need to be deathcore. We need to, we need to, you know, play in this key. We need to do this, you know, break down here, this and that. So (laughs) it's, um, yeah, man, it's it's you really get out of the box when you you know don't follow the rules, or in my case, don't know the rules. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah. You know. So back to uh, kind of you were saying, you know, that you didn't really play out much as as a younger person, kind of learning how to play guitar. What were some of the what were some of the like bands or players that were influencing you early on? Um, so back in the day, I was, uh, you know. To, to metal funny enough my mom and my dad were like yeah oh, this is satan satanic stuff blah 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 you know so what i would do is i would go to my public library and i would work on you know uh printing tabs as usual <laughs> and i would rent and i would rent cds i would rent you know iron maiden i would you know all this stuff anything with a cool cover like ozzy anything like that Right. And I would take it I would take it home and I would listen to it secretly. And then uh eventually I became a metalhead, you know? A closet metalhead. And uh <laughs> you know, my friend, Mike Baker, shout out, um, he would kinda he was like one of those guys that was like the cool guy and you know, he had the cool pants, the cool CDs, everything was like on on the up and up. Right. So, you know, he's like, Oh, have you heard Slipknot? And I was like, no. Or, or actually, uh, I think it was Soulfly first. Soulfly was first. Okay. He's like, you like you like hip hop and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I like DMX and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I bet you don't know shit about Soulfly. And I'm like, 
what Soulfly, you know? Right. And he showed me, and I was hooked, like, because the tribal drums, just, it's heavy, it was pissed. And I was like, this is awesome. And the lyrics were, you know, kind of, you can get it at that age. Yeah. Um, so it came from Soulfly, and then I got turned on to Slipknot. Okay. And then Fear Factory. And that was like my trifecta. You know, like the Max Cavalera, Dino. Oh, yeah. Uh, Max Cavalera, Dino, and, um, you know, Mick, Mick Thompson was my favorite because he was the big guy. I, yeah. mean, I was a big boy. <laughs> so, and from there, it would just, like, open so many doors. I started buying, like, Hit Parader and Circus and all that stuff. And I would see pictures of, like, Mudvayne and whoever, like Typo. And I would just kind of fumble into these bands because my library, you know, had it, had some of this stuff in there. And uh, eventually, you know, uh, I just started collecting CDs behind my parents' backs. And eventually they were just like, turn their, you know, turn their heads, you know, and they were like, as long as you're not listening to anything satanic. And I was like, no, you know, this guy's singing <laughs> about his tribe. Right. You know, he's singing about politics. But secretly, you know, I'd be listening to some pretty crazy stuff for a youngin. <laughs> it's funny to think so. back when, when music was kind of scary like that, though, too, like where it had like a sense of edge. I was just recant uh, re recanting the, uh, or retelling, I should say, uh, the story of like when I had to hide Antichrist Superstar and a friend burnt, uh, made a tape, like dubbed a tape for me. And uh, <laughs> I would go to bed and I would listen to it on my like uh, Walkman. And just being like in the dark, you know, completely with headphones on and just listening to like this music I'd never like really like no one had really ever heard before. And just being like, there's something scary about this, but I like I like this. I like being scared by this. Like it's it's like a, a yeah. horror movie, but like just a soundtrack, basically. And yeah. I don't really know that. I mean, it's it's interesting, too. We were just kind of talking. My wife and I recently were talking about you know, how much music we all consume now uh, with, with music being at our fingertips. But I, I, I feel like because of how easily accessible it is, we've kind of lost like the connection to the music now. Like you don't, people you don't hear people telling those kind of same stories where it's like, you know, I had to sneak this album, this album that changed my life. I had to like sneak it. And, and because my parents didn't like it or because, uh you know, whatever insert, whatever this, the reasoning is. And I feel like we don't, we've kind of lost that. Yeah. And that's in, with that, I mean, I, I've been saying this for a long time. It's everything's so fast and convenient. It's like a new album will drop, you know, today. Yeah. Today's Friday. A few albums drop today. People are already on to the next thing. Like, oh, that was cool. Like, it's going to be on my road, on my playlist. But, <laughs> you know, it's just like, what YouTube video can I watch right now? Or what, you know, Netflix can I watch right now? It's like, it's not, it's not, it doesn't really sink in and marinate, you know, as like they used to. Cause you buy like a $20 CD and you're like, I'm going to listen to this tonight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, there's a DVD in it. Oh, there's a secret track. Let me, let me find it. You know, it's, yeah. Now it's like, well, let me hear what you got. You know, oh, okay, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to post about it maybe, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely changed. So how did you, when did you start actually like kind of playing with other people and start like the band thing? Junior high, junior, junior high, high uh, seventh grade. Again, I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, you know, I had a, a friend um, 
his name was Corey. And, uh, you know, I think he had a Slipknot shirt on or something like that. I was like, hey. He's like, hey. I was like, cool shirt. He's like, thanks. He's like, uh, you play anything? He's like, yeah, I play drums. I'm like, yeah, I play guitar. He's like, we should jam. Sure, let's do that. So, you know, from then on, like every, at least, so let's say Monday through Friday, school day. So at least three days of the week, I would walk two to three miles with my huge like coffin case with my BC Rich Warlock (laughs) in one hand and my, I don't know how many pounds, you know, combo fender amp in the other hand. And I would walk every day or every whatever day that I wasn't at the library. I'd walk to his house and we would raise holy hell at his house uh, and more props to his parents for letting us do that. But we started our bands from there, you know, and then in high school we we started a real, real band and uh, everything gained like fast traction from like freshman year on. But essentially I started like a three piece band in high school, uh, junior high. (laughs) So I've been busy. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, uh you know i kind of something i've not really ever thought of i mean i've never really experienced it myself but i was thinking about this when i was talking with uh shield from bad rabbits uh recently and good band very good band and was thinking about you know he was talking about how you know in in hardcore and so forth you know at least in bad rabbits and even in the old metal band that he was in Europe press you know it's uh it's a multicultural band and you know, I had kind of wondered, was it was it kind of weird for him growing up? Like, where people like, you're a fucking drummer of like a metal band, like that's weird, or you know, things like that. Like, because I know that that's still a thing. And and granted, uh, I kind of had wondered, you know, because I remember like the band Raw when they came out in like the the late '90s, how like their big the big thing for them was like, oh, the singer and a few like I think maybe the guitar player were Middle Eastern, and that was mm-hmm. like the selling point of that band. And so it's always kind of interesting to me, like when I think of various bands and, and people that I've kind of grow, grown up, like, you know, between like bands like Oceano or like with yourself in them or, you know, Shiel and Bad Rabbits and all this kind of stuff. It's not weird to me to see people of other ethnic, I can never fucking say that word, ethnicities uh, <laughs> in, in the metal or any of these other genres of, of rock, quote unquote. But it always seems like it's made to be a bigger deal than I feel like it needs to be. So was there ever, like, a thing where people, like, when you're growing up and being like, man, I'm into, like, this metal stuff and I play guitar, where people were like, that's weird. Like, you're into this? Like, did you experience a lot of that at all? Um, so with with my culture and my family and my background, um, I am definitely the outlier. I'm, like, I am the black sheep of pretty much everyone I've ever met um, who is a Syrian. That, that's what I am. Um, not Syrian. It would be Assyrian. Okay. Different. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's a definitely a more, I guess you would say, traditional or mainstream or even hip hop um, enthusiastic um, culture, I guess. Okay. And when I say traditional, I mean like traditional Assyrian or even Arabic music, um, which is where I get some influence from. But uh, as far as that goes, they honestly never really caught on to what I was doing. You know, I was very quiet. Um, My family, you know, was supportive uh, later on. You know, they were supportive of me, obviously, from the beginning, but 
they just kind of didn't understand what I was doing and what I was doing with my life, you know? Right. It was just like, okay, you're going to play a <laughs> show. Oh, you're going on tour. Like, all right, is that making money? You know, I'm like, right. you know, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing this and uh, you know, it's, I'm going to be uh, breaking even when I'm really losing my ass. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as far as that goes, you know, that whole culture, that whole world, never really got it you know um i still am known as like the freaker white boy even though i'm a hundred percent assyrian <laughs> um i remember i was even put on wikipedia as like a, a as a what's it called a, an ac- acknowledged you know assyrian musician and um which is the first in heavy metal i think from what i'm i'm concerned and um somebody took me off like I think they just don't, they don't know. Nobody really knows. I never really used it as a selling point for me, but um, when somebody, you know, when someone's telling me like my music rips off a band like Nile, so to say, you know, and I'm like, oh, you mean the Middle Eastern part? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you do realize I myself am Middle Eastern, correct? (laughs) They're like, uh, No. no. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't think any of the guys in Nile are Middle Eastern, but, you know, I will give them props and I will acknowledge them as an influence, but hey, let's, uh, let's do a little background check before you, you say something like that, you know? Right. No, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've had a little bit of struggle with that, uh, identity, I guess. Um, so kind of getting to, cause I kind of want to get to serpents cause it, I always, I think it's really interesting when someone has like their own band and through mm-hmm. other opportunities that arise, like the, the, the main band, like the, the we'll call it like a solo project of sorts, uh, becomes mm-hmm. the focal point, but then something else presents itself. And then it's like, okay, like here's kind of, it's funny. Cause as I was thinking about it, I was like, you couldn't have picked a better name to talk about literally weaving in and out of something. It's like, that's kind of what serpents do. They slither around <laughs> stuff and, and kind of, you know, conform to, you know, their surroundings, like being able to move around. So I thought it was really kind of ironic. Uh, the fact that I was like, well, I kind of need to talk about serpents. It starts, or, you know, Oceano starts and it kind of goes to serpents and then you kind of dip into something else. And then serpents pops up with another, you know, EP or whatever. And uh, so it's always been something that's kind of been like, seemingly like your thing but kind of when the other things aren't taking you away from it um so i guess let's start with oceano um i mean because you you're a little bit i think i've got you by four years i think i saw somewhere you were born in like 88 or 89 88 yeah okay no i was gonna say because i think by the time you were in oceano was like I think I remember hearing about that band a couple years after I was out of high school. So I, that would probably put it around like 2006, maybe seven, 2006, 2007. I think, I think, uh, it was 2007 or eight. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Okay. There was, I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> it's over 10 years ago. So, I mean, no worries that you can't remember that well either. <laughs> um, but I remember, you know, you guys, uh, a, a, I think it's a mutual friend of ours, Alfonso Seville, uh, when I was uh-huh. living in Lansing, was like, dude, you need to check out this fucking band, this band Oceano, they fucking rip. And I think you guys, like, I think the band was coming to play at Max or maybe even uh, the t- uh, Temple Club when that was maybe still a thing. They were coming around regardless. And so he kind of mm-hmm. put, put that band on my radar. 
and he was talking about you know this sick guitar player and and all this kind of stuff and I kind of followed the band a little bit, but that was like when I was like living on my own and super broke. So like the luxury of buying CDs and music was like out the door. <laughs> and uh, heard on that, yeah. <laughs> and so it was uh, one of those things. Like I remember, I think it was like your guys' first record. Like a lot of my friends were super into and you know got played a lot. And then it just kind of seemed like the band for me, like either everyone just kind of gave up on it or the band went away. I, I never really could figure out which it was, uh, but it kind of seems like based on when serpents picked up was kind of at the end of when Oceana was done. So I don't think I've really seen a ton really about, uh, what kind of led to you leaving Oceano. Cause I mean, by all accounts, everyone's like, when I told a few people I was talking to you, they're like, Oh my God, I used to love Oceano. Ask them about Oceano. Like what the fuck's going on with that or what happened? And I'm like, is it not well known? And so it seems no. like a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it, cause I, when I talk to people about these, these interviews, I'm going to be doing a lot of, it's, it's kind of interesting. People give me feedback on and kind of fill in gaps of shit that like, I'm not aware of. So like I said, when I was talking about it, everyone's like, Oh my God, I used to love that band so much. And I don't know what the fuck happened to him. And then I was like, what do you mean? What the <laughs> fuck happened to him? They're like, I don't know. They just like stopped existing. And I was like, okay, like I know bands do that, but like, that's kind of weird. And so I, I thought there was like an official release or something, but maybe you pulled like a, some of these newer bands where they just disband, start new bands and don't ever talk about what happened. So I don't know if there's, if you want to kind of get into the Oceano years and kind of, since that was like your bigger, yeah. one of your first bigger bands. Yeah. I mean, okay. So just side note, just cause I want to be nice and, you know, respectful. Oceano is still around today. Um, they recently signed with Sumerian Records. Um, well, when I say Oceano, I mean it's it's essentially the singer Adam uh-huh. and a bunch of new cats in the band. Um, never really met the other guys. I know their new drummer, um, Matt. But uh, yeah, so they're still doing stuff. I believe they're going on tour very shortly, if not right now. Um, but it's few and far between. So that's that's they're still around um still doing stuff but uh a lot of people you know they do hold on to that first album depths they hold it into a high regard and for that i thank everyone for that um whoever still bumps that or says that's you know uh influential record that's really big for me um but uh essentially we so were you at, were you wondering about the like how Oceano came to be or the exiting of Oceano? <laughs> how about the the whole gamut? I guess if you're if you're able or, um, or willing to talk about it. Yeah, man. Um, so basically, Oceano started around 2006 with a completely different lineup. Okay. Um, all different guys, and I was in a, another local band in Chicago who was kind of feuding with Oceano at the time because. Um, me and their guitar player at the time. Uh, we were not on the best of terms, um, which is odd because, you know, he was, he was, you know, always at my old band shows. And he was, you know, like one of those guys that'd be like, Hey man, I loved your set. This and that, you know, what are you playing? This and that. And I always respected him and I was nice to him. And one day he showed me the Oceano demo, the first one. And I was like, uh, you know, and, you know, maybe you should try, tuning the snare a little bit this or I, I don't remember what I said but he was just like fuck you and I'm like whoa what <laughs> I'm like 
I, I thought you wanted notes, man, because he asked me for notes. And so we were feuding that whole time. Eventually, you know, I gave up with my my band, and he was like, you want to jam? I'm like, fuck it, man, why not? You know, so we, the first Oceano jam session with me and the guys uh, was at Guitar Center. We jammed at Guitar Center. Oh, wow. Um, one, one I worked at, actually. And uh, so eventually, you know, I was like, hey, if I join this band, it's got to be serious. Because back in the day, Oceano, I mean, a lot of the MySpace kids know the core grind days. And I don't even have to talk about it. Um, but back in that those days, Oceano had no real lyrics. It was just noises. And people would sing along thinking that there was lyrics. And I was like, if I join this band, it's going to be serious. And it's going to be metal as fuck. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, we had a band meeting, you know, and uh, basically we all said, okay, okay, okay. I said, all right, let's do it. So from then on, um, you know, things happened. We hit speed bumps um, with members. And unfortunately we had to, uh, or we actually, uh, we were doing well, made made a lot of noise, made a lot of ruckus by p- playing out, touring when we weren't, you know, anything. Right. And eventually we got offered uh a deal with Earache Records. I remember getting that email while I was at work. It was, it was funny. But, uh, <laughs> you know, eventually we inked that deal and then some members were acting a fool and I said, you know, this is, I've worked too hard for this and we've all worked too hard and we're going to keep going and this is what it's going to be. Um, so then it became the Depths lineup that most people know with Adam, me, Jason, and Danny. Um, and then we had like a couple of guys coming in and out, you know, uh, filling in just didn't work out. So that was that man. And we did that for a little bit, uh, did a great, you know, circuit on that album, a uh, lot of success. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm very proud of, you know, us as a team dealing with what we dealt with at that time. Um, and then when it came time to write the second album, um, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I never really talked about it publicly because I just felt it was our business. And, you know, at that time, everyone was in everyone's business and social media was like starting to really kick up. And it was like, so-and-so says this about, you know, this person, blah, blah, blah. So when I got asked by, you know, Lamb Goat and whatnot, like, why'd you leave? And I was like, here's my statement. You know, it was very nice because I didn't want to burn any bridges, you know? Right. But uh, now that I'm older and things have happened and things have been said and done to me and all that stuff, I'm a little bit more open about it. But, um, you know, essentially it all comes down to, you know, we were the first album was such a success that, you know, the second album, uh, the pressure was on and, you know, uh, essentially I became uh, writing by myself, you know, in a kind of solo, you know, environment. And then I would take the demos and bring it to my drummer and we would just jam, but we would mainly fuck around all day in the rehearsal space right? um, that we were paying for, which was new for me, you know, being in actual space paid for by the label, you know, on the label's dime waiting, they're waiting for a record and, they want depths 2.0. Literally, that was the 
you know, phrase that kept getting thrown at me. And, I, and as an artist or musician, you just want to write and you don't want to have that expectation. Right. Or, you know, walking into a room. Like, that was pretty, that was harsh, man. You know, walking into a room and being like, we got to make Devs 2.0. Or even having me sitting in my room, you know, just starting, you know, they bought me a laptop. They're like, you know, why don't you record demos? I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I've never done this before, but I'm going to try, you know? Like, I was always jamming in a room with guys. Right. So, you know, it was me, me, me. And, you know, I'd come to the guys kind of sideways because I was stressed the hell out because I was the main point of contact. And I was also the songwriter and I was also doing the business and the tours and, you know, all that stuff. So on top of all of that, you know, I was young. And, and also on top of all that, my parents were getting divorced. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And, um, you know, literally one day when I was helping moving my, I think it was my mom's couch, you know, out of her apartment because she was about to leave, you know, leave us again. Uh, you know, I was sitting there talking with the drummer and, um, you know, kind of checking in on progress. And he said stuff that, you know, I wasn't happy with. And eventually I was just like, you know what, man? Fuck you. Fuck this. I'm so fucking done. I, my family's tearing apart. And, you know, I'm I'm being torn apart. And nobody, nobody's, you know, no, you guys are family. We're not, we're not employees, you know. We're, right. we're supposed to be family. Yeah. We're supposed to have each other's backs. And... You know, that wasn't the best thing to do in hindsight, you know, say, fuck you, you know. Um, but it, we were the world's, quote unquote, the world's most pissed off band. So <laughs> emotional we were. Um, right. But, you know, it's it just came to that point where I said that. And then, you know, management was calling me and, you know, saying, no, 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 like, don't do that. I talked to the guys. Everything's good. And then... You know, I'm like, fine, fine, fine. I, you know, I calm down, and they're already jamming with my friend at the time. They were jamming with him, uh, and I was like, oh, uh, I guess that's done. So that's literally how everything went down, man. And I never really talked about it. And I don't think they've ever really talked about it. But at the same time, I wanted to paint that picture finally that you know I was young and emotional, and there was so much on my shoulders for being right. so young and it's just it's just crazy like i think i was 21 yeah at that time yeah you know and very confused man it's it's a lot of pressure you know a lot of money a lot of a lot of pressure being thrown at you at that age i guess it's kind of you know interesting i was uh probably a few weeks ago talking to jim hawking from for the fallen dreams another like michigan local band uh well not Love really jim. local um but, you know, he was talking about how when they did changes and then changes blew up and then basically from that point forward, everyone was like, this isn't changes. This isn't changes. The next record doesn't sound like changes. So everyone like kind of latches onto this one record and the amount of pressure it puts onto people or, you know, just people in general. Like, you know, I've talked to Nate from Finch and one of my favorite records is their second record, which is the record that they broke up on because it just didn't do well and it caused a lot of problems internally and with the label and so forth. And I always find it interesting to think of like, you know, you're taking these young people who aren't even sure of who they are yet as a, as a person 
and you're making them responsible for making someone else money and having to come up with product at that point because we'll, we'll not even call it songs or art we'll call it a product because that's what it turns into and just how it makes how hard it is to have to go through all of that as you're learning about like as it's happening to you for the first time and you know just the the repercussions of kind of all of that shit so it uh i've always thought it was interesting to kind of think about that and you know i don't think a lot of people realize the it's already hard and pressure filled to come up with a record on a label when they're putting forth a lot of money but then when you actually have a, a hit or something that lands and then the label expects you to turn out another one and it's like that's so much pressure and you're like 21 22 think about how you where you were when you were that age and like what life was what you know life was doing to you and then try to add on the pressures of like okay we need you to turn out another fucking record in six months and if it doesn't sell all this kind of stuff then we're going to tell you you suck and it's like jesus christ so yeah and we're in a time where we're in a time where music or fans they will shit on a record if they don't like the snare sample like it's it's very very hard and you know not only was i trying to make the fans happy um the label happy um you know it, it just came to a point where you know i wasn't making myself happy and i was just like you know my, everything's being torn apart and it's not worth it it's really not worth the emotional strain and and to be honest with you side note like i had a really huge gig um at the, well, huge to me at the time lined up so i was just like fuck it i'm just gonna be a hired gun for one of the biggest heavy bands right now and they're still around but um that didn't pan out so i was just like i thought i was kind of like damn it you know i really fucked up and um you know that's, I, i'm I'm man enough and old enough to admit that you know it's because i was like well these guys just want me to be a hired gun and play in the biggest heavy band that's out right now and probably one of the most influential at the time and I don't have to worry about writing a record. I could just play and get my anger out that way. And, right. um, you know, I, I quit two, two weeks too late. You know, they were like, damn, dude, like we already filled the spot. I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. You know, I, I needed to get out of that situation anyway. So right. it's, um, you know, it's, it is asking a lot of young people and, I, I, in no way am I saying, woe is me, you know, oh, this was so much. Yeah, I welcomed it. I welcomed it in the sense of it kept me sharp. You know, I learned a lot about business, uh, you know, the ups and downs. And, um, you know, I wouldn't trade it in for the world. Like, literally, I, I love all of that experience I went through. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of wild if you think about it now, you know, especially with, a lot of the, uh, I don't know what you want to say, awareness of things and things that happen behind closed doors. And I think a lot of people do forget that, you know, I mean, there are some real shitty people out there and people doing really shitty things, but people seem to forget, like a lot of people were growing up, you know, on, on the road and confused and thinking, oh, this is Motley Crue status, you know, like, I'm going to get fucking ripped every night or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and land two girls in one night or this and that. It's like, it's a lot, it's a very sobering experience 
you know, when you go through that for as many years as, you know, I've been in it, I guess. Very okay. wild. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a last, last question I'll have on the Oceano thing. Um, mm-hmm. With a lot of bands celebrating, you know, a, a, a great record or, you know, anniversaries of a record, I th- you know, obviously uh, I think that record would have been 10 last year. Um, but you know, some like Hatebreed's no. doing 15 years of like perseverance and <laughs> shit like that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, it just has to be like a, a monumental year, not like straight up like 10, mm-hmm. 20, whatever. Uh, would you ever entertain the idea of maybe, you know, getting that lineup back together to, to do a run of, you know, 10 year anniversary or 15 year anniversary shows, uh, supporting depths? Um, you know, I, I, actually, I think next year is going to be 10 years of depths. Um, I think it was released 2009, April 7th, 2009. I can never forget that. Okay. Um, so my, <laughs> it was in my, it was when my life changed. Um, would I do it? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I, I would love to listen. It's, Here's one thing that politics aside, band drama aside, one thing a lot of people forget, and whether I'm talking to you or if I'm talking to these guys I'm talking about, one thing a lot of people forget is that we made this together. We grew up together. We were family together. We had those times. We all grew from that as human beings. And with that, so many other people grew up with us on that journey. Mm-hmm. We in, we impacted so many lives, so many stories, so many couples met at our shows. So many faces were pounded in our shows. <laughs> so many, you know, it's like so many good memories, so many bad memories. And with these, like, um, I don't know what you would call it, uh, these tours that are popping up, you know, nostalgia tours, sort of. Nostalgia, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Nostalgia. With that, we would be, in, in, in my perspective, we would be robbing those people who who held us in the high regard by saying, like, you know, this is the best Deathcore album, this and that, which I don't agree, but I'll take it, you know? Right. <laughs> but uh, we would be robbing those kids or those adults now um, of that experience. And even... The young kids that are coming in now, we were we would be robbing them of experiencing that animal that was that Oceano lineup. Now, Danny, Jason, and Adam. I mean, Adam's still at it. Danny, I think he's kind of just a working guy. He has a, a couple bands in Chicago. Jason, from what I'm told, is a, a married is a married man. Um, I think in Michigan or Wisconsin. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't know if he'd be interested or Danny would be interested in like doing a tour, but I know Adam's still out there. And I honestly, if this current Oceano, uh, lineup does a 10 year tour, I would really hope that, you know, they would at least reach out to some of us or all of us to see if we would be interested in doing it. Cause I mean, I would, you know, I, I miss, I miss those primal days of, you know, uh, my life or, my guitar playing even. Right. And I would be interested in doing it. I'd be interested in doing it even with the new guys. Cause I mean, they're a four piece currently. So 
it's like they use tracks too. Right. I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't say no, man, to be honest with you. No. I just always think it's We're interesting good... to, to wonder about like some of those, these like seminal records within either a genre or just a, a, a time frame itself. And, you know, like wondering, I mean, I never thought I'd see 18 visions and I just came back from going out to LA to go see 18 visions play in Los Angeles. And it's like, Holy shit. Like when they were oh, done yeah. and one Mick death, you know, passed away, I was like, that band's never coming back. I'm, I miss my opportunity to see him. And, you know, so when my wife was like, do you want to go to LA and go see 18 visions? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. So, Same I mean, thing with hopes fall, man. I oh, thought yeah. hopes fall wasn't going to come back. And I was like, fuck, I miss that. You know, like, even misfits, they always said like it's never gonna happen. Yeah. But um honestly, personally, I don't think I don't think the Oceano thing will ever happen. Adam Adam's pretty happy with where he's at, um, with his crew right now. But I mean, you know, I've reached out to him even to do like little guest spots in town and it just never lines up. So I mean, we're on talking terms, like me and the guys, minus mm-hmm. Jason, I haven't really talked to him, but I wouldn't say no, man. I mean, from my perspective, at least. Well, so. still got some time yeah. to, to maybe figure that out. So I know fans will probably <laughs> really enjoy that. Um, but kind of moving now on from Oceano, Serpents. I mean, that's what you're currently doing still. Uh, you put out a handful of uh, records. There was actually, I mean, you were talking about it a little bit ago, about how you've been working on this newer album was that is this still a continuation of the record that you haven't that you didn't put out that I saw that was supposed something about how a record was supposed to come out I think about two years ago now and it just never got released and what I wasn't sure of if it was like a like a Deftones Zeros thing where you have a whole record it's done you just haven't put that out and whatever it is you're currently working on is all brand new material from that point forward. Um. So basically, uh, after whatever. Uh, the Oceano thing, I immediately started uh, crafting new demos, you know, for something else, right? Right. I was like, I'm going to start something else. It's going to be, you know, my big fuck you to everyone and the industry and everybody, blah, 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 blah. I was very, very driven, you know, uh, by anger and spite and all that stuff. That's how all the best metal records are made. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I just, I was hurt. I was hurt by every, you know, um, everything that was going on. And I was just like, I'm alone. I'm going to do this. And uh, eventually, you know, I finished some demos and then I caught a drummer. um, And then I caught a couple other guys. And we, you know, we put out an EP, like a small three, three song EP or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, it was an actual like touring lineup for a while and then it fell apart just because things weren't happening fast enough for some of the guys. So, you know, with that, uh, we were a touring lineup for a little bit and, you know, I, it, it turned into, you know, me by myself again. And I was just like, man, this music. And I had so many people telling me like, what are you doing with this album? This is awesome. This is blah, blah, blah. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to delete these vocal tracks and I'm going to do it all myself again. So, because um, we had a singer. Well, good. You know, I don't have to worry about lyrics and all that stuff. I, 
he was like my understudy. He, like I would teach him these life lessons, these teachings I had. I think he was like 18, so he was like all about it. He was very, he was a good guy, man. And, um, you know, he was very open-minded. He was actually too nice for the band, so he just kind of <laughs> left. Like, this is too much. Right. You know, he was like, this is too much drama. So, um, you know, I would teach him these things that I had learned through whatever my experiences, and he would write about it. And then when he left the band, I'm like, well, I'm not going to use this now, you know? So eventually I'm like, I'm going to rewrite it. Same same subject matter, same, you know, kind of thing, theme. And then that's how Born of Ishtar was made. Um, that was kind of my, my big fuck you piece, you know? My, uh, I'm going to do it no matter what. So I did that, released that record, and then the next year I released Pestilence, mm-hmm. um, which is still kind of in that lyrical theme. You know, it's kind of like a continuation of the, the story, but not. Well, yeah, and I then the timing of it, for sure. Yeah. Um, so Pestilence was out for a year, and then I got really busy with Defiler and um, signed probably the biggest, you know, uh, record deal of my life or my career and had to sit for a year and wait for that to uh, unravel and unfold. And in that year, I, I just, I mean, as you know, like, uh, like you said, like serpents pops up, you know, throughout my year with ever in between each band, whatever. So what I would be doing is I would be writing while I was playing for these other bands because I wanted to stay happy. I wanted to stay fulfilled and um, so when I was in Defiler, I was writing in green rooms, you know, what right. would become yeah. serpent stuff. So then, um, you know, after a while, you know, after, you know, uh, the label dropped us before even, you know, doing the announcement and all that stuff after a year, um, you know, after a breakup and all that stuff, I was just like, well, I'm going to formally announce that I'm working on a new Serpents album and try and keep that up. And uh, that's where everything kicks off from from there um, to where I'm at now. Three years. Three years of working. <laughs> it's uh, seems it's always kind of interesting when, when someone says, you know, it's taken us like three years to, or, you know, we spent like three years working on a record. I think, uh, again, in talking with Jim, you know, he was talking about how they he's been writing this record that they just put out yesterday for like, I think about maybe two or three years really. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the band was on a sort of hiatus and you know, no one really knew what was going on with it. And then it's like, it kind of gets it exciting because like you, like we were saying earlier in a day and age where it's like, you're kind of like, Oh, this cool, this thing's here. Awesome. 20 minutes later. Okay. I'm on to the next thing that it kind of allows people to completely forget about something that they loved. And then when, you know, you kind of announce something, you're like, oh shit, I forgot about how fucking much I love that thing. And it it's kind of the one byproduct, I, I think, of the way that people take in music now or, or take in media, really, or content as a whole, is that you can kind of, if you're gone for more than, you know, a year and you're not constantly posting shit, like people seem to kind of forget about about it. And then when they get notified of like a new post or whatever, you know, via all the social media and so forth, it's like you get really excited again because you're like, oh man, I forgot about this. And then you go back and, you know, if it's music, you might go back and listen to the back catalog and get re 
almost like reinterested in something and, and just rediscover like your, your passion for this thing. And I'm sure it's kind of the same for you as well. Like making this music, like, you know, like as you're kind of working on it intermittently in between, you know, like working with other bands, you know, maybe you're coming back and be like, Oh my God, I forgot how much I love, you know, writing serpents stuff. Mm-hmm. No. And that's the thing is I've definitely, I mean, I've noticed and I've actually publicly attested to the fact that I'm like, why do I even do this anymore? It's like, no one even remembers, you know, it's like I tortured myself uh, for three years and I'm like, you know, with Facebook changing literally weekly. Um, yeah. And their reach and all that stuff. It's like, what's the point? You know? And I just, I keep having to remind myself, this is for me. This is, this is for my sanity. I mean, it's great that, you know, people, there are actually people with like serpents tattoos out there, out there right now. And shout out to them. Um, and I do that for them as well. Cause I'm like, Oh shit, you got it on your body. Well, I have to, I have to keep it going now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was at a time of like giving up, you know, I, I was close to the, Hey, I got a girlfriend. I got a nice job. Blah, 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 you know, you know, I could still write or play for other bands, you know, but I just can't coming back to that. Why did I start this? What does it mean to me? You know, do I care if, you know, Facebook will shit on this? <laughs> I mean, sure. But, you know, it's, it's more or less for those, those diehards that are like, what, what is, what is Serpent's doing? You know, let me, let me, let me go back to this album. And then when they click on Born of Ishtar, they're like, wait, what? There's a new one? You know? Right. That's, that's cool, man. I'm, I'm into that. But, um, you know, it's, it's been a long three years. I, I spent two of those years method writing and actually in Grand Rapids, oddly enough. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, you know how like actors would method act and they dive into a character? Yeah. So two out of those three years, like the music was done in a year. So two years I spent in Grand Rapids method acting or method writing um, so I can really hone in on the uh, relatability of the story, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, I write, the way I write is very kind of like, I don't know, it's um, it's very, it's hard to grasp if you just trying to like read it to read it. Right. There's a lot of hidden, there's a lot of hidden stuff everywhere. But um, this album, I was like, I really went through a lot. And uh, I was like, I really want, someone to be able to just pick up this album and really get it. And also for someone who wants to look for hidden stuff, find it if they want. So I was like, write what you know. That's the, you know, if you talk to any writer, that's the first, first rule of the book, write what you know. So I said, well, that's, uh, it's about time to start that story. So I moved and lived out that storyline for two years so kind of just because of uh you know obviously grand rapids is where i live and Mm -hmm. talking about living here for two years you know you live in chicago what what about our town my town i guess for those i won't say ours because it's just me uh but what about what is it about grand rapids that uh inspired you in your two years worth of, of method writing well there, I mean, ins- inspiration came from the day to day. Like, um, 
basically I was looking at a lot of um, formulas in writing and uh, how the best stories are written. And it's usually uh, Joseph Campbell's, you know, uh, approach of like the hero's journey or the hero's myth. And some of the most timeless stories are, you know, uh, reminiscent of that formula. I mean, Star Wars, um, The Matrix, all that stuff. It's all kind of reminiscent of Campbell's Heroes Myth. So in order to do that, I needed to basically follow that formula and leave home and start that journey. So uh, immediately I was like, well, I need to leave Chicago, number one, for my sanity. Number two, it was getting way too expensive for an artist to just (laughs) sit there and, you know, write and do that. So Michigan or Grand Rapids was, um, you know, one of my favorite stops on tour. It was just a very laid back, cool, artsy kind of town, great beer, great, you know, food. Mm -hmm. The girls were beautiful. You know, everybody's cool. And, um, you know, I was just like, man, it's cheap, cheaper to live there. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's what I need to do. Like it's part of that journey. So I left and, uh, you know, I, I got situated, uh, very fast and it was living very nicely for the money I was making and, you know, given an artist, uh, income and, um, it made it very approachable for me to do that versus Chicago where you need to be working three jobs to just get by. Right. Yeah. That you could tell what, what, you know, what's a more artsy kind of town. I hate, I hate to say that, but artsy town, because you know, you have the option to do that. You can do that. You have the freedom versus, you know, needing to work three jobs and then jamming with your band from like midnight to four in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Tough, you know. Did that I don't know if that answered the question. I just danced around it. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's fine. I just it's one of those that you don't typically hear of a whole lot of people, uh, musicians, you know, coming to Grand Rapids to uh, to work on something or find inspiration in creating new art as far as musicians go. So it's not something yeah. I've really heard of. So it's kind of interesting to kind of like maybe get into that a little bit more. Was there anything, I mean, you kind of talked about our beer and such. Did you really have an opportunity to take in like our music scene here for the time you were here? Uh, roughly. I mean, you know, I did a lot of my writing, um, or at least attempts at writing at like meanwhile. So okay. like, uh, which is a, you know, pretty cool punk bar, sort of punk, I guess you would call it. Um, That's, we, we typically uh, call that the hipster bar. <laughs> the hipster bar, right on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was a single guy, so I was, you know, I was out there with my cider, drink, uh, with my notebook, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and, you know, I got, I got, I made some really cool friends over there. Uh, I got into the service industry over there and made a lot of cool friends um, in that world, which all kind of weaved into my storyline. Yeah, for but, sure. But, uh, you know, with that, you know, I was introduced to um, a lot of really cool music, man. Stuff that was going on at Pyramid Scheme, the intersection. And sorry for everyone who's listening that's not familiar with this stuff. But um, there's a really there's a really cool scene in Grand Rapids. And, you know, it's a shame that a lot of agents, you know, as much as I love them and bless them, um, you know, a lot of agents 
can't um, rationalize, you know, taking that left turn to Grand Rapids versus going to Detroit on their way to Canada and stuff like that. So, um, which is a shame because I got to, I was working at the intersection as a stagehand. So I saw a lot of that going on, um, which is an amazing venue, um, for at least from when I was there. I, I don't know who runs it now and whatnot, but still Scott. it's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, great team over there. Very professional. I saw, you know, Devin Townsend over there, which is amazing. Um, and then I would go to Peace Game and just kind of like check out like, you know, Black Dahlia or like my friend Brandon Copeland does a lot of like really awesome like jazz hip hop shows and stuff like that. So it's, and then you would have, and I don't know if I could say this, but whatever, but then you would have like the Death House shows, which yep. are like super, super selective. Like if you don't know where it is, you should out of luck kind of thing. <laughs> and I think that's, I think that's so cool, man. Like it's, it's a community like they they built a community there and i have mad respect for grand rapids even though you know my time there was forcefully like i literally made my life a living hell on purpose for the story <laughs> um so i mean if i didn't if i wasn't doing that grand rapids would be so cooler and i would have enjoyed it a lot more but unfortunately yeah um but yeah i know a lot of the punk guys you know that's why I mentioned the meanwhile, it's because I would see those guys like, yeah, we're playing a basement show. And I'm like, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> see, I almost you wouldn't know? have expected uh, Mulligans to be your, uh, like one of the bars you would have frequented with it being, you know, one of the few bars we have that has free, it's free to see shows. There's usually shows and now comedy from like Wednesday through Sunday. Um, and it's all about kind of something. What was that? I'm a diva. I, I, I'm a diva. I couldn't get over that smell of piss or no, not piss. Uh, <laughs> That's the yo when you walk in. Yeah, it's just like, I'm like, ugh. Uh, but you know what? First bar I went to, you know, as a Michigander was Mulligan's. And uh, this girl I was with was like, you're going to have a Mulligan stew. Yes. And I was like, all right. Did they so light it on fire it, or no? Yeah, I think they did. I don't, I don't remember because we drank a lot. But yes. uh, <laughs> that is yeah, Mulligan's. Man, it, <laughs> oh, yeah. And great town. I mean, it's a really cool scene, and I highly recommend any music folks to, you know, check it out. And even Art Prize, like my first month in being in Grand Rapids, I was actually Ugh. one of the exhibits for Art Prize. You oh, know that? No, you I didn't. didn't. I was, Did was going to say, though, if you, wanted to write, <laughs> if you wanted to have, like, inspired, like, angry and, like, just pissed off lyrics, just try to drive anywhere during Art Prize, and I can imagine that should fill up a booklet pretty quickly. <laughs> Oh yeah, but I mean, I'm from Chicago, so it's like no, yeah, that's, that's, true that's too. a lot worse. Yeah, but I, the inspiration on the Christian side of Grand Rapids definitely well, helped me. Well, I was gonna say uh, that was where I kind of wondered if that was why you chose us because I I know as of when I moved here over ten years ago, um, a fact I had read, and, and if you spend any time here in Grand Rapids, it totally makes sense. I think we have more bars and churches per square per square mile than just about anywhere else, either in Michigan or yep. in the Midwest at all. Um, and I mean, I can think of like, just looking downtown, I can think of about shit, probably at least nine or 10 churches on the kind of outskirts. And then as you get more into the epicenter of downtown, there's like at least 20, 30 bars. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it, it's all on display. It definitely right there. Really 
it definitely helped in the sense that like so I would I would be at the bars kind of by myself or with my girlfriend at the time whatever and um I, I when I was sitting there you know on experimenting with certain you know whatever drug um I tried at the time again I was really I was really getting into this this writing process I it, it really hit me when I was sitting in a bar um, on Michigan street. I'm not going to name it cause I don't want to support him. Um, but I was sitting there and I was like looking around and I was listening to all these conversations and people were talking about religion and politics and, you know, people were trying to get into each other's pants and all this stuff, you know, like most bars, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I was, I was looking at everybody. And I says, this is a small, you know, cube in this city, in the middle of this country, in the middle of this world. And they're paying, they're paying money to huddle in this building and they can't leave this building with whatever they're paying for. So they have to huddle in here and they're basically poisoning themselves slowly Mm -hmm. and trying to fucking suck each other. You know, it was just like, it was such a weird experience to like be out of my body and like really analyze and be like, these people are paying. And I would see the same people there every day. And I'm like, there's more to life than this. But I I was just thinking about like, you know, this is, and like you said, there's more churches per block than anywhere in the country or whatever. And these would be the same guys that you'd see going to church or preaching, preaching about, you know, uh, this and that, or telling you you're wrong for thinking this. And I was just like, it's such a weird contrast that it really helped me lose my mind and also <laughs> get get more out of what I paid for, so to speak, in the two years <laughs> I was there. Right. Like, it was just, it was very strange, man. If you just kind of look at, look at every, everybody as like a, like, I don't know, like almost like a, looking at an ant farm, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, again, and that's that's one thing that helped in Grand Rapids, man, is that whole sense of entitlement and oh, yeah. the constant the constant challenge I would get, and that's honestly what kept me kept me angry and kept me writing is like, you know, I I, I would even I mean, one time I had my ex, she jumped out of my car because I wouldn't agree with her viewpoint on you know uh, on. Uh, burial uh, traditions because hmm. she just wanted to be right. And I'm like, not everything I have is an a opinion. right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I have an opinion and this is my culture. Like, why are you, you know, dictating to me what's right and wrong? And that's honestly where I got a real strong taste of like that whole Grand Rapids vibe. And I, and again, for everybody listening, it's not just Grand Rapids. I mean, uh, it's a, a lot of yeah. other places. Yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, it's that whole, like, extreme, like, liberal viewpoint, and then there's extreme conservatives in Grand Rapids. And it's like, when people would talk to me at the bar, I would be very, you know, like, in the middle, or I'd be like, I could see what you mean. And, like, and I wouldn't contest them. I would be like, I see your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, I would say my viewpoint. And they would be like, you're wrong. That's bullshit. You know, this and that. And I'm like, excuse me? 
I'm like, wh- why wouldn't you respect my viewpoint when I did that for you? That, no, that doesn't. And, that doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't go. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it helps me. And I wrote about it, and I secretly wrote, you know, a lot of that stuff. Uh, a lot of my observations are in the new album. Um, yeah, man, it's it's the new album. Um, it's actually called uh, Temet Noche, or it depends on who you're talking to, I guess, or Noche or whatever. Okay. It's Latin for know, for know thyself. Okay. Um, it was called Nola Edis for a while, but uh, I think Know Thyself is probably the best uh, representation of this album. Um, you know, it, it really tells the tale of my journey from Chicago to Grand Rapids and then back. Um, but also it, with that, like there's also, I went Kubrick with it and I told about five parallel stories Okay. within, within that text that anybody who's paying attention can latch onto and really get involved with that. Okay. But essentially, essentially, man, that this is the tale of me going on that journey and coming back as a, you know, as a better person. And, or you can look at it through all these five other storylines. It all depends. But uh, Grand Rapids was definitely rich with influence <laughs> for that album. You know? Do you see yourself doing, maybe after the album's been done, rolling out with like a like a YouTube series maybe of you kind of explaining everything so people can like after time goes by and if people haven't kind of figured it out, you're able to kind of explain it to them. Or um, is this one where you want, like if they don't get it and you're like, well then you got to keep listening. And, and when you find it, then, then you'll kind of, you got to see, search it out and kind of find it for yourself. In the beginning, I was like, you know, in the beginning I was like, uh, why am I putting myself through this hell? Why? I mean, nobody's going to get this stuff. Uh, and then I was like, well, I'll just explain it to everyone, you know? Right. I was like, I'm going to do that, make a YouTube thing or, you know, release a commentary version of the album. Right. But then in my deep uh, dive into, you know, art and literature and movies and whatnot, you know, I stumbled on something Kubrick said where he's like, I'm not going to tell anybody about this movie. I'm going to let them paint the picture for themselves because it, it gives them more of a sense of ownership, I guess you would say, to oh, that sure. piece. You know, um, that's why I gave people six storylines altogether. You know, it's right. like whatever you grasp onto, whether you're an occultist or, you know, uh, just want to listen to a story or you want to listen about my story, it just, whatever you want to latch onto to make it yours, it's there for you. So I I don't think I'm going to be explaining publicly at least um, about these songs and whatnot. Okay, and then so, so when can we expect this uh, album to come out? Um, we're hoping, or I'm hoping. Why do I say we? No, I do the same. Um, th- I do the same thing. It's me, and I say we man. and us and our ours, and it's just me. <laughs> that's when you know. That's when you know I've lost my mind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm hoping. March or April. Um, right now, uh, as of, as we speak, I'm waiting for the final master for um, the first single. Uh, it's called The Lust of the Lawless. Um, should be dropping 
in a week from today. I don't, I don't know when this will air, but uh, so if you're listening at this point, it's out, go listen to it. So yeah, we're going to, at the end of this episode, you will hear the newest single, uh, The Lost of the Lawless, off of Timet Noche. Um, at that point, I'm hoping you'll be able to stream it on Spotify, you know, iTunes, all that good stuff under Serpents US. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, everything relies on the success or failure of this uh, single. I mean, I'm fully funding everything as, as normal, um, but I'm actually working with uh, a producer, um, Logan Mader, okay. who has done Five Finger Death Punch, mm-hmm. Fear Factory, Gojira. Um, so I really wanted to do this album right, and I think I would be robbing people if I just did it myself and half-assed it and be like, well, I'm going to fulfill pre-orders and I'm going to just get it done and get it out there. So right now um, I'm working with Logan and um, on this album, everything's tracked. We just need to fund it. So if you guys are liking the single that you're going to hear at the end of this episode, please head over to all the pages and pre-order the album because there will be a pre-order going live with the the release of the single. Oh, it's, there's been a pre-order and honestly, that's how everything has been funded this whole time. And I, you know, again, um, I'd like to thank everybody for pre-ordering and being patient. So many people, you know, have been so patient. It's, it's really is inspiring alone and how, how people believe in this project and the album to the point where they haven't even heard, you know, what has come out, but I've had a lot of um, pledges or whatever you want to call it. People just like really they're down for the cause. And um, that's what this is about, man. This is about supporting art in its truest form. I mean, this is a no bullshit, you know, project. And that's what I wanted to do since day one is, you know, have it be true, have it be, you know, raw emotion. Um, you know, it's just, you know, if you support this stuff and you still want to see more Serpent stuff later on, then please, you know, pre-order that stuff. And if not, I'm just going to be working like a dog, like I already do. <laughs> and you guys will have to wait longer for the record. And Logan would not like that. I would not like that. And I'm sure the people who have ordered would not like that. So let's get some orders and, you know, get that new album in your ears because... From what I've heard, it's with Logan and me kind of like teaming up. and It's just monstrous, man. It's awesome. I'm, I'm really proud of it. So we've already got the song that I, I always end the episodes with out of the way. So where can people find you? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the link to the the pre-order for the, the soon-to-be-completed album, hopefully? So everything is located at TRVE media.com okay backslash merch all right so it's truemedia.com backslash merch you'll find pre-orders for the new album like bundles mm-hmm. you'll find um a tarot card deck that we released or i released um you know a little bit ago um some t-shirts uh some old copies of the old cds but uh, we're really you know, anything helps, man. And, um, you know, it's, we're getting there. We're getting there. And, um, 
you know, if hell, if any labels would like to uh, release this, let me know because that would save me a lot of hassle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but essentially, yeah, man, it's all DIY. So if people are digging what I'm doing, then please support it. It's just like any other art, you know. If you like an artist, um, you know, if you like a painting and you really want to support that artist, you'd buy it, you know. For sure. Well, I uh, thank you for your time. I, I don't know if you were planning on spending an hour and a half with me. Uh, on I'm your all Saturday. for it, man. Uh, but thanks again for taking the time. No problem. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks to everyone who's listening this far. Um, sorry, I don't mean to get off. You know, I'm going to thank everybody. No, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I honestly want to take this opportunity to thank everybody for their support um, for Oceano Days to now uh, Straight Line Stitch Days. I mean, every, everybody has been great. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better career, even if it all ended tomorrow. You know, um, granted, the past three years were purposefully, purposefully <laughs> spent in hell. Um, but now I'm done with this album, essentially, you're going to see more of me. Um, you know, I'm living in Austin, Texas now. Oh, I just I need was there to a take a break. Ago. You should have hit me up. I just, Back, well, we, West, holler. we didn't know each but, other uh, back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, it's, I needed, I needed a new challenge. I got, I, I was done with writing and all that stuff. I was like, well, time to challenge myself. So here I am in Austin. Um, if any of you, you know, see me around, don't be afraid to say hi. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope everyone enjoys the new single and I really hope you guys enjoy the new album and try and stay sane in this world. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> so that was my chat with Andrew McHale of Serpents, ex Oceano. Had a lot of fun talking with Andrew. Uh, kind of covered a lot of different ground, uh, like I said in the intro and kind of during the conversation. Uh, not really being the biggest Oceano fan, it's kind of always interesting to talk to someone and look back at it during a, a time frame of something that meant so much to a lot of people and kind of being able to look back on that and kind of be a little little detached from it as well since it, it didn't necessarily have as much of an impact on me personally. Um, but as I said, you know, a lot of friends, when they found out I was talking with Andrew, uh, really were interested to find out what, you know, what happened and, and so on and so forth. So I know it obviously had a, a huge impact on a lot of people. So I'm really hoping that uh, this interview finds those that uh, maybe have wanted to know for the better part of, shit, almost 10 years at this point of, of what happened and what Andrew's really been up to. Because uh, interestingly enough, in doing this podcast, I tend to find that a lot of people that I talk to, the the common response to these interviews is really you know oh i always wondered what happened to this person during this or you know what was going on during this time period you know i never have gotten any information and i guess the odd thing is is you know in today's society where we have literally a wealth of information at our fingertips uh, i guess not being able to know something is kind of the is not the norm and uh so i guess a lot of people are able to kind of get some some answers to the questions that they've often had uh, I know that's been like the biggest case with the Revis episode that I posted a while back with Justin from from Revis. Uh, that a lot of people comment on the YouTube uh, channel that they 
you know, are thankful for the episode because they finally have some closure as to what happened with that band and with him and, and all that kind of stuff and are able to kind of find out that he's got new music. Um, I know Eddie Trunk constantly talks about uh, people that are fans of his, that are fans of bands from the, you know, 80s and early 90s and such, that they basically lost track of what that person was doing or someone from the band and didn't know that they're still creating music. So hopefully this is a definitely an instance for any Oceano fans, uh, that, you know, can keep up with what Andrew's doing, uh, that he's got this new serpents record coming out. And, uh, if you would like to keep up with Andrew though, uh, the easiest way to do that, just like anybody else is following them on his socials. Uh, you can follow him. You can follow the band serpents at we are serpents on Facebook. Uh, if you would like to follow Andrew, it is at, uh, well, not him personally, but if you would like to follow uh, one of his other accounts as well, it's under True Media. That's T R V E M E D I A. Uh, you can find him on Twitter uh, just simply at A N D R U C I V E R. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily try to pronounce that, but uh, that's pretty much his handle on everything. Uh, you can also follow Serpents on uh, We Are Serpents on Twitter, and Instagram is just uh, A N D R U C I V E R. I think it's Anducever. Uh, or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of bad with, with some pronunciations on things. Um, but yeah, just find uh, find him on that. And then you can keep up with what he's been doing uh, as far as trying to help bands with social media work and, and logo stuff and just kind of a lot of band going-ons that he is able to offer services for for bands uh, as well as Serpents itself. And uh, if you would like to follow Mosh Pit Nation, uh, you can follow them at moshpitnation.com. You can follow them on Facebook at Mosh Pit Nation West Capital M I. Uh, Facebook or Twitter and Instagram are simply Mosh Pit Nation. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at John's Untitled Podcast. Also on Instagram, uh, Twitter is just John's Untitled Pod, and you can email me at John's Untitled Pod at gmail.com. YouTube again. It's John's Untitled Podcast. Uh, a lot of people seemingly are finding the podcast through that. That means I know I listen to a lot of random interviews and so forth when I'm trying to do research. So hopefully uh, a lot of people are enjoying, you know, finding it through that avenue. Uh, someone commented on my Mike Dean episode that I posted last week uh, that they were really appreciative of the episode, that they don't have a lot of many corrosion conformity interviews on YouTube, which I think is partially incorrect but be that as it may uh it always kind of makes my day when I, I get a lot of interaction from people uh, i like to reply to everything um and and kind of just start a dialogue with whoever about different shit and sometimes it leads to episodes like this one uh, i was talking with ian from x uh, straight line stitch and as a result i ended up getting this conversation so uh talking to all of you you never know who i'm gonna actually end up getting as a re as a result of doing this um we're going to end the episode, as we always do, with a song, and that song is going to be the new Serpent's track, Lust of the Lawless. Uh, if you like this track, you can go over to True Media, that's T-R-V-E-M-E-D-I-A dot bandcamp dot com, and you can get the song. If you would like to pre-order the new Serpent's record, Temet Nose, I, I, again, I'm, I'm pretty bad with uh, not... <laughs> not uh, English things. Uh, it's uh, T-E-M... So that record is uh, Temet, T-E-M-E-T, Nose, N-O-S-C-E. Uh, as you heard uh, Andrew say, he kind of explains what the, the meaning and the, the, the breakdown of the meaning of the, the album title is all about, uh, especially lyrically for the, 
for the theme of the record. Uh, but if you are interested in pre-ordering the full record, uh, you can do such over at True Media. That's T-R-V-E-M-E-D-I-A dot com backslash merch. Uh, again, basically, that's a lot of Andrew's uh, socials. If you want to follow this, T-R-V-E-M-E-D-I-A. And then usually if you search that across uh, Facebook and so forth, you'll, you'll also find Andrew that way. Um, but this is the new song. I... Uh, Got it sent to me before it had been premiered uh, a few days ago as of the time of me recording this. And Andrew asked what I thought of it. And it was uh, it's always interesting to be asked my thoughts because as a not really great musician, uh, I always think it's funny when people ask me uh, what what I think of, of music, uh, of someone's music that they've created. And I always feel kind of bad because I, I often compare it to something that it reminds me of. And I, I usually mean it as like a, a good thing. But I, I never stop to think that like, oh, maybe this point of reference for me, while I think it's something good, could mean it's shitty to somebody else. So I ended up uh, messaging Andrew and I was like, yo, the song's really good. Like some of the parts remind me of like, early uh demi borgir stuff off of like progenies of like the apocalypse or misanthropic period that long fucking title that i can never get um but that has like uh you know puritanical on it and stuff like that uh the synths and the way that they kind of come in and out of the guitars and stuff like that reminds me a little bit of uh, early demi and uh, i also said that i, I really enjoyed the vocals because in a lot of more aggressive you know death metal-y kind of stuff sometimes the vocals are there's just so much going on that it's hard to discern the vocals and what's being said and so forth. And I didn't have that problem with this song, but as a whole, looking forward to this new record from serpents, uh, Logan Mater, who is producing it, uh, who has done five finger death punch, Gojira and fair factory among other great metal artists, uh, will no doubt crush this fucking record. And as you will hear from the new song, lust of the lawless, I think we're in store for a, a very brutal, aggressive record. So, Without further ado, this is Lust of the Lawless by Serpents. I will talk to you next week.